Micah chapter 5, starting at verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me. One of you will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are form of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Let us turn over to Luke chapter 1. beginning at verse 39. At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. We might just carry on a little bit longer, if that's all right with you, uh, Kelly. There'll be a cup of tea shortly, you know, just relax, there'll be a cup of tea shortly. (laughs) Elizabeth and Mary, are there two greater women recorded in Scripture, Elizabeth Elizabeth and Mary? Literally, uh, these two men, these two women, usher in the new covenant. These two women carry two of the greatest men uh, that is recorded in Scripture. Yet they are inspired and their humility is a model for us all. Both of them testify to God's grace upon their lives and Luke records explicitly that for you, Mary, you have found favour with God. You have found favour with God. Does it get any better than that? To find God's favour. And that's what we want to explore this morning. What does it mean to find favour with God? So let's pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the privilege of being able to meet together. We don't take that privilege lightly and so we thank you that we can meet in your presence together as your church, your body, sitting under your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. We ask that you might humble our proud hearts, that you might strengthen our timid hearts. Lord, even this morning we ask that you would heal our broken hearts, that we might know Jesus, and for his glory and in his name we pray. Amen. If you haven't already turned to Luke's Gospel, turn with me, uh, chapter 1. And Luke records for us, at the beginning of his gospel, he describes his goal in writing an orderly account of what the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word have shared. 
He investigates carefully, he says, and writes down all that God has done through the person of Jesus Christ. Luke is very careful in ordering his accounts. And in the first chapter, he is at pains to anchor his gospel into concrete historical events of his day. And so, verse 39 of chapter 1 begins with the phrase, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now, when I first read this uh, again on Monday morning, I was tempted I was tempted to reflect on a Mary that I know and her ability to get ready for going to town. But not long after I was doing that, uh, I was working on some definitions of expository preaching for our emerging preachers. And the definition, of course, expository preaching is allowing the text to say what it says and not impose your understanding of the text. So I will leave aside any reflections on Mary's ability or otherwise to get ready for town. What Luke is saying here, and he is anchoring us in a place and time and a specific event, he is pointing us to the location of where this is unfolding. The place is stated as being the hill country of Judea. Mary has shifted from Nazareth. She has moved perhaps a three-day, perhaps a four-day journey, and she is now visiting Elizabeth in this hill country of Judea. The time is also recorded for us. Luke carefully anchors his message in the place and the time. And if we look back to verse 5, we find that the time is in the era of King Herod. We know from other historians that King Herod reigned from 37 BC to around 4 BC. Luke is locating this event towards the end of Herod's reign. Now, in the preceding passage, Mary has been visited by the angel Gabriel to be told the shocking news, firstly, that she is highly favored by God, but even more shockingly, that she would conceive and carry the Son of God, and she would name him Jesus. The shock of this news is evident in her question to the angel, how can this be, for I am a virgin? And Luke records the response of the angel in verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, in this first chapter of Luke's Gospel, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is very clear and very evident. It's a strong theme that Luke is recording here. The angel advises Mary that her relative, Elizabeth, is pregnant. Six months pregnant, Luke records. So at that time, Mary makes this journey from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea to visit Elizabeth. And Luke records that she stays for three months. So she stays to very near the end of uh, the pregnancy, it would appear from Luke's gospel that Mary leaves just before John is, uh, arrives. Earlier in verse 25, Luke tells us that Elizabeth has been in seclusion for five months. So this could be the first and perhaps only visit that, Elizabeth, uh, rece- that Mary receives. On her arrival, Mary greets Elizabeth, and Luke records two things take place. The baby John inside her womb leaps for joy, and Elizabeth is also filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Remember last week, for those of you who are here, we heard about John the Baptist and his ministry 30 years on from where we are here. And we heard how John made the distinction between his ministry and Jesus' ministry. His ministry would be to baptize with water, and Jesus' ministry was to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here, even in utero, even in utero, we see the baptism of the ministry of the Spirit taking place in the presence of the Lord Jesus. So here, Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. What does the presence of God's Spirit bring about here? Well, two things are evident from the text. Firstly, Elizabeth is anointed to speak God's blessing over Mary. And secondly, I suggest Elizabeth's demeanor becomes one of humble gratitude. Let's firstly consider the ministry of this prophetic utterance to speak blessing over Mary. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that the first beatitude in Luke's gospel happens in Luke 6 when it records, we record the Sermon on the Plains where Jesus comes down and speaks the beatitudes that Luke records, but you would be wrong. The first beatitude in Luke's gospel is loudly announced here by Elizabeth. In the nature of the prophetic anointing, she declares to Mary in verse 42, in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. Now this week, uh, Paul took some of his missionaries, that's Paul Evans, not Paul the Apostle, some of his missionaries up Northeast Valley, and we were doing some prayer walking up Northeast Valley, and Sally very graciously allocated the streets. Uh, we had arrived at Baldwin Street, and she very graciously allocated Baldwin Street to herself. Paul and Tage were up on some of the other hill country. Mary and I had the flatlands on Salwan Street, so we were very happy about that. I'm a little bit nervous that when we come to doing the door knocking, Sally's going to reverse it and we're going to be in the hill country and they're going to be on the flatlands. But before we went, we said, what are we doing? Why are we going out and prayer walking? And what are we trying to achieve here? We talked about praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We also talked about the ministry of praying blessing over households. And so as we walked up the streets, we would pray a blessing on a household. And I want to encourage you, when you're out strolling this week, to not just stroll in your streets and, and go out for your exercise, but to make that a prayer walk, to pray for God's blessing on the households on which you journey. Elizabeth announces the blessing of God on Mary. That's the first sign of the Spirit of God resting on her. The second I want to suggest is the humility that is revealed. Look at verse 43. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, we know the backstory of Elizabeth's barren years. Luke has recorded how Elizabeth is aging. She's been without child all her life until God comes and meets with her. And she, in her old age, miraculously conceives so she is understandably overwhelmed with gratitude. Verse 25 indicates that her gratitude stems not just from the fact that she is with child, but also a response to God's favor. And so verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor 
and taken away my disgrace among the people. So Elizabeth's gratitude is not just for the miraculous birth uh, or conception of John. It's also she knows that her disgrace has been taken away. She's found favor with God. So she is in this place of deep gratitude. But there is a close connection with a grateful heart and a humble heart. The opposite, of course, is also true. We see that, don't we? The heart that has a sense of entitlement, the heart that demands and expects things to be given to us is often a proud heart. The heart which is humble is also connected deeply to a heart of gratitude. So we can surely understand in Elizabeth this grateful heart, but the humility is fully on display when her younger relative Mary arrives and greets her. There is genuine humility. If her own child is a sign of God's favor, as recorded in verse 23, in verse 43, she acknowledges her place of privilege of being visited by Mary, the mother of my Lord. Now, this expression, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me, is a clear indication of the inspiration of the Spirit of God. The child she is referring to is not yet born, and yet she confesses that this unborn child is her own Lord's. So here the reverence shown towards the yet-to-be-born Messiah is extended to her mother, Mary. And Elizabeth shows the sort of humble respect we might reserve for royalty. Here's the thing about true spirit-inspired humility. It doesn't mean you shrink back from ministry. Quite the reverse. We see that in Elizabeth. She steps forward. You see, true humility means you serve God, you trust God, and you rely on his favor alone. That's exactly what Elizabeth is manifesting here. In her humility, she is serving God, she is trusting God, and she's relying on his favor alone. When historian Grant Wacker was writing his biography of Billy Graham, he went and visited Billy later in life, around 2014, not uh, very long before Billy passed away, to write uh, the American pastor. And as he was interviewing Billy, and Billy was, as I say, getting on in years, and Billy turned to his assistant who was with him and asked what this man was here for. And the assistant said, Billy, he wants to write something about your life. And in the words of the account, Billy asked, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? And the author was taken aback and he stuttered and stumbled and he said, well, you've done some important things. The understatement of the decade, you might suggest. You've done some important things. Now, we might put this kind of anecdote down to an aging man <clears throat> forgetting something of the significance of his ministry. But actually, humility was a common word associated with Billy Graham. In his own words, he said the following, I was humbled because it seemed that God was laying his hand on the most unlikely prospect among his servants for a gigantic task. I didn't ask for the assignment that was pressed upon me by a sovereign God. As Jesse Payne wrote around the time of Billy's death, it wasn't his good looks, it wasn't a southern accent, 
It wasn't an affable personality that was the source of Graham's power. It was a close relationship with Jesus Christ, anointed by the Spirit of God. And note well that Billy's humility, Billy's sense of unworthiness for the task, didn't mean that he shrunk back from the ministry. So too with Elizabeth. Her humility doesn't mean that she shrunk back from the calling and the ministry that she was given. Her humble demeanor invokes her to step forward and to loudly proclaim the kingdom of God coming in her midst. What Elizabeth does is to invoke the blessing of God upon Mary. In fact, Luke records a threefold blessing coming from the lips of Elizabeth inspired by the Spirit. Blessed is Mary among women, firstly. Secondly, blessed is the child that she carries. And the third blessing deliberately opens the way for wider blessing where she records, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This utterance opens the way for you and I to enter into the blessing of God's. Blessed is the one who believes that the Lord would fulfill his promises. I wonder if that is where you find yourself this morning, where you believe the promises of God so that you can enter into the blessing of God's. Mary is our model, of course. In verse 38, we look at Mary's response when Gabriel came to her and she responded, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. True humility means you serve God, you trust God's word, and you rely fully on his grace and favor alone. This week, Mary Crossan asked me, we were discussing Christmas and we were discussing gifts, and she asked me the question, what's the greatest gift that I've ever given to you, Stu? And I reflected for a moment and I confidently said, the greatest gift that you have given to me, Mary, is three boys, Samuel, Peter, and Michael. And later that day, we were praying and she asked God, why are we so blessed to deserve the blessing of what have we done to deserve the blessing of these three precious boys? And we both knew and acknowledged that we didn't deserve the best blessing. We haven't done anything to deserve the blessing of the privilege of parenting Sam and Peter and Michael. We simply acknowledge that we've found favor with God. We've found favor with God and we give thanks. In fact, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, not Samuel, we sing, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just 
as he promised our ancestors. Mary believed and found favor with God's. Do you know that favor of God this morning? You see, true humility means you serve God, you trust God, and you rely fully on his favor alone. One of the greatest gifts that you can know is to realize that you have found favor with God in Christ. Elizabeth discovered that. Mary discovered that. Do you know that in Christ you have found favor with God? And let me say that that doesn't mean you're exempt from pain and sorrow or the testing of God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, 33 years later would go and stand at the foot of a cross and she would see her son nailed to the cross. She would see her own beloved son sinking, sinking to his death. To find favor with God doesn't mean you're exempt from pain and sorrow, but it does mean that you have been chosen by God. I was reading in Proverbs 17 earlier this week, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart, Proverbs 17.3. And I knew something of that testing this week. I found myself, I was reminded of my own finite capacity. On Wednesday, something of the, the year was catching up with me and I could feel the, the wheels wobbling a little bit. On Thursday, I knew I had to meet with some people and pray with them, and I got a bit of perspective in that praying. But I was reminded as I was reflecting on this passage, the true humility means we're called to serve God, not to shrink back. We're called to trust God, and we're called to rely on his favor alone. George Whitfield prayed the following prayer. God, give me deep humility, a well-guided zeal, a burning love, and a single eye, and let men and the devils do their worst. Whitfield's partner in the gospel, John Wesley, on his gravestone reads the following words. This great light arose by the singular providence of God to enlighten these nations and to revive and force defend the pure apostolic doctrines and the practice of the primitive church which he continued to do both in his writings and his labors for more than a half a century. And to his inexpressible joy, not only beheld their influence extending and their efficiency witness in the hearts and lives of many thousands, as well in the Western world as in these kingdoms, but also far above all human power and expectation, lived to see provision made by the singular grace of God for their continuance and establishment to the joy of future generations. And then comes the crux of his tombstone, where he says, Reader, if thou art constrained to bless the instrument, give God the glory. In other words, if we're constrained to give any minister of the gospel, them the praise, pause, and instead give God the glory. You see, true humility means you serve God, you trust God, and you rely on his favor alone. So what are we to learn from this passage this morning? What are we to take away from this passage this morning? Mary and Elizabeth were unique in the vocation of carrying the greatest man to be, man to be born of woman and the son of God, respectively. It doesn't get much higher in terms of privilege. They had a unique vocation. They ushered in the new covenant of grace. 
dependent on their obedience and their faith, and yet their humility shines brighter than a spotlight at midnight. They don't pull back from their vocation because of this spirit-inspired humility by either saying, I can't or I won't, for such would be false brides. No, they step forward and bless others. Tim Keller defines humility thus, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less, and I might add, thinking more of your precious Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom you have found favor. Let me just conclude by reflecting on Mary's ministry, on her vocation. This unique vocation, she gets to literally carry the Son of God into the world. Why was she chosen to do that? Not because of her character, not because of her heritage, not because of anything she had done, but she had found favor with God. She was chosen by God. And so her response was one of service. Her response was one of gratitude and humility. She found favor with God. You and I have a similar but different calling. We are called to carry Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit into this world, to pray and minister God's reconciling grace to a broken and lost world. Why do we get to call? Why do we get that vocation? Not because of our education, not because of our bank accounts, not because of where we live, but because we have been chosen by God. We have found favor, the favor of God in Christ. So my invitation and my encouragement to you this morning, true humility means we serve God, we trust God, and we rely on his favor alone. Where is it that God is asking you to serve? This week of all weeks, and as the new year begins, where is it that God is asking and inviting you to serve? What area of your life is God saying, where is your trust right now, Stu? Where is your trust right now? What area of your life is needing to grow in trust? And finally, the question you need to ponder and pray, am I relying on his favor alone? Have you tasted and experienced the favor of God in Christ? Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, we praise you and thank you for your words. We praise you and thank you for the ministry of your spirit applying this word. And I would ask now that your spirit would come and overshadow each and every one of us, that we might grow in a deeper understanding of the truth of your word for us. We want to say thank you this morning for your favor on our lives, for choosing us in Christ. And so like Mary and like Elizabeth, we want to be found as servants of your gospel. We know we have nothing to bring of eternal significance apart from that which you give to us. Strengthen our trust in you. Help us in our service of you. And above all, Lord, this morning, and as this week unfolds, may we grow in our understanding of the central truth that we have found favor favor in your sight and then because of that truth we praise you and thank you in Jesus name amen